0: My name is Chris Miller. I've been at Oakwood for, I think, over six years now. This is my story. I grew up in a uh, Christian home, a strong Christian family. If the doors were open at the church, we were probably there. And I, from a very young age, uh, knew that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. And and, uh, there was never really a time in my life when I didn't know that. And my childhood is largely unremarkable. uh, We we attended church and most of my friends were Christians. I didn't fall into a lot of the traps and things that some people do at that young age and it was rather unremarkable but then something kind of changed. Uh, At 18 I went off to a secular college and I stopped having Christian friends, didn't really know a lot of Christians there at, at the university, and stopped going to church. It was a difficult time. I didn't know who I was or who I wanted to be. I was just trying to figure things out, it was, it was really dark and, and difficult. I didn't have a lot of direction, dealt with a lot of depression, difficult times, I just, completely turned my back on God. In fact, I tried to convince myself that God maybe didn't even exist. And, and my relationship with, with Christ just went away. It wasn't something that I, I had. There was a period of eight years there where I didn't go to church. I didn't have that relationship. I kind of called my time in the wilderness. It was just a difficult time in my life. And I didn't have, have any real clear idea of who I was, who I wanted to be. Struggled in a lot of my relationships outside of, of church because I wasn't going and I didn't have that bedrock to, to, to lean on. Tried a lot of things to, to deal with what's going on, self-help and other kinds of things like that. Nothing ever seemed to fix the problem. I just continued to kind of just wander along. I, I, I always referred to it as wandering in the wilderness. I was just kind of lost. By the time, I didn't understand what was going on. I, I, I do better now. It was the Holy Spirit. But one day, um, for the first time in eight years, I dug out this old NIV study Bible that I had. And I don't even remember why, but I opened up, started to read and read and read. Over the next four days, I read the entirety of the New Testament. I started on the Old Testament. And I began to pray and talk to God and get that conversation going and reestablish that uh, connection. A lot of changes began. Some of them were instantaneous. It's just like the, the depression and the difficulty just seemed to be wiped away some of them took much much longer and i began to grow i engaged with christian friends again started going to church while at church i found a sunday school class of like individuals that i could connect with and bond with and for the first time in my life i started or, or at least before those eight years i began to Feel a sense of purpose in my life. More than just knowing who I was, I I understood, began to understand who I was in Jesus Christ and what that meant, and doors for new opportunities began to open for me in terms of serving and teaching and guiding other Christians that maybe weren't were struggling or weren't finding their way. And so definite change and it's been a progress since then of learning to draw close to Christ and a lot of personal growth and just a better understanding of who I am and who I want to be one of the things I would be remiss in saying about that time after I rededicated my life and began to, to turn my life back to Christ I, I've always mentioned that uh, I became aware that the persecuted church our brothers and sisters in Christ that suffer for the sake of Christ I've had opportunities to to meet those that have been imprisoned and who have suffered and a few that have even been beaten talk with them and understand their their growing their stories and so that was something a gift that God gave to me in helping to develop my purpose was understanding them I, I draw inspiration from them. They they live in places that we don't have the opportunity to, but they stand. It's never easy but they stand. They believe in Christ. And they're just like any of us. They they profess to believe that Jesus the Christ, the Son of Living God, He is their Lord and Savior, just as we do. But sometimes that belief is difficult. It's not easy. And that passion that I've developed for them has helped me as a person to not only be stronger in myself, but to understand that I've got a pretty good here. My life in Christ is a good thing. And no matter what happens, He's there. He's going to be there. Jesus is going to take care of me, and I, I can openly profess that I believe that. And um, there was a time when I went off to college that wasn't the case, but. I know in my heart that uh, I'm a born-again believer, and it's through Jesus that I have been saved. Man,
1: appreciate <clears throat> I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate Chris having the openness and the guts to uh, share that with us, uh, his his story. And as we go through this series this summer, we're going to hear stories from lots of different voices, lots of different people in our congregation. And just remember, the purpose of this is that God would get the glory for the story that's being lived out in your life. And, and here's the thing is, if you are a Christian this morning, you are here, every one of us has a story and I think God can use your story to affect other people's lives. Just like when you watch that just now, there's probably different parts of his testimony, of his story, that you latch onto. You're like, oh, man, I can relate to that. Or, man, when he said this, I could totally relate to that. Um, what, what, what jumped out at me, and he mentions it twice in there, is, is he went through this eight-year period, and he called it the wandering in the wilderness. Did you catch that? This, this period of time where he had kind of grown up in the church and he'd been a Christian and he knew Christ. And then he said a couple of things. He said, I turned 18 years old I went off to a secular college, okay? Sometimes our secular colleges have an agenda, folks. They have an agenda. They, they want to tear your faith apart and rip you away from God. He says, I quit attending church. All my Christian friends were gone. I made new friends that weren't Christians. And he went through this eight-year period of struggle. That's what I want to focus on as we come into the time of the message this morning. Uh, is, is Have you ever been through, or maybe, maybe you can relate to, or maybe you know someone right now who's going through this season where you would say, man, they are just wandering in the wilderness. And how can God use that time to provide what he wants? Because that term that he used is actually a biblical term. And it's found in the Old Testament. If you've been around the Bible, been around church for any amount of time, you probably know, hey, I know this story of the Israelites, God's chosen people, wandering in the wilderness. And that's what we're going to drill down on today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews is found in the New Testament, kind of kind of toward the last section of it, toward the back of the New Testament. And so... Uh, and Hebrews is, is a great book. It's written just like it says to Hebrews, to the Israelites. It's actually written to Jews that had converted to Christianity, but now they were being kind of kind of wanting to go back to the old ways of their Judaism. And and the book of Hebrews was written to remind them of the supremacy of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and to remind them that all that old testament prophecy about the Messiah. That was, that was Jesus, because some of the Jews just didn't get it. They wanted this conquering king that was going to come in and you know come in on a steed and, and whip the tails of the Romans and, and take over and do this hostile takeover of the world. And they had their own vision of what that meant when the Messiah would come. But we know as Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant. He came as one who is a king, but one who is meek and mild. One who has all the power, but one who is not going to use his power in destructive ways to overthrow Rome. But no, he was going to overthrow the world spiritually and teach us about the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, 8 through 11. And just a reminder, there's a Bible around you. Hopefully, maybe you brought a Bible. If you didn't this morning, you are always welcome to get on your phone or your tablet or an iPad, whatever electronic device you have. Download the Oakwood app. And if you go to Sermon Notes, all the scriptures and and all the bullet points and all that will be there for you this morning. We want you to hear from God this morning. We want God to make a difference in your life. So let's read uh, the main uh, passage here. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 says this. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my way, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. God is talking there, and he's saying, they are not going to ever enter my rest in the promised land. You remember the promised land, right? You remember the story. Well, let me give you a little background so this makes maybe a little bit better sense to you. There's a book called Exodus, second book in the Bible, and Exodus talks about a time where the Israelites, God's chosen people, were enslaved in the land of Egypt. And as they were enslaved in Egypt, Egypt just put a really, really heavy yoke on them of slavery, and and wanted to suppress them, and and hurt them, and, and, and to keep them under their influence so they wouldn't go out and be God's people in the world. And if you know the story, you know that God called a leader. His name was Moses. Anybody heard of Moses? Yeah, Moses. And then God did some miraculous work. He, he brings these ten plagues against Egypt. And he sends Moses to Pharaoh. You remember Pharaoh? And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let your people go. And then God brings another plague. And that cycle is repeated over and over ten times until there's that final plague, the plague of the firstborn, that all the firstborn in Egypt, all the firstborn males would lose Their lives. And after that plague, Pharaoh relents, and Israel is now able to leave. And you see this miraculous provision of God. Not only that he would change Pharaoh's heart, but that now he would do things like part the sea. Remember that? Part the sea, and God's people walk through on dry land. Walls of water cave in after God's people have cleared, and the Egyptians come down into the, into the seabed, and, and God has the walls of water collapse on them and drown the Egyptians. He's provided a way out. He's provided safety for them, and he says, now now that you've gone through this, we're going to go through the wilderness here. We're going to go up, and we're going to go to this place called the Promised Land. That's God's plan. Sounds like a good plan, right? I mean, you're out of slavery, you now have freedom, you now are God's people, God's provided in miraculous ways, you see all these miraculous signs, all these miracles, all of these people have experienced these things with God, and you're like, yes, yes, team God is winning, God's people are winning, and now we're going to go up, and we're going to go into this place called the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, There's actually a place there where Moses is doing these speeches to Israel right before he dies. And he does a good summation of kind of what happened. Because, you know, they go through the wilderness to get to the promised land, but they didn't have to stay there for very long. Or at least that wasn't God's plan. Well, let's just read Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses He's talking to the people of Israel. In verses 19 through 24, he says this, Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out for Horeb and went into two toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached a place called Kadesh Barnea. Without going too deep into that, Kadesh Barnea is always a significant place in the Bible. It's seen throughout Exodus and other places in the Old Testament. When you see the words Kadesh Barnea, I want you to always think that was a place of reckoning for the nation of Israel. When they came to Kadesh Barnea, they decided, are we going to go our way or are we going to go God's way? Is, is he going to be our God or are we going to be our own gods? Do we think his plan is sufficient? Do we think his plan is better? Or do we think our way and our plan and what we see is better? They come and they reach Kadesh Barnea. Verse 20 says, Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Did you catch that? God is giving us the land with the Amorites in it. He's giving us this land. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. So go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, hey, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and to bring back a report about the route we are to take and and the towns that we'll come to. It'd be good to have have an action plan before we go in there and beat these people groups and take over this promised land. And the idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They left and went into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it." So this is what happened. They get to the edge of the promised land. They've gone through the wilderness for, scholars believe, somewhere between a year and two years, maybe 18 months. They're there, the promised land. They know what God has promised. They're they're ready to go in, and they said, hey, wait, Moses, Moses, Moses. Moses like, hey, let's go and take the land. God has given us this land. We don't have to worry about anything. He's given us land. He's promised us. Go and take it. We'll beat these people groups. We'll move them somewhere else. We'll kill them. We'll we'll get rid of them. We're God's chosen people. He is on our side. This is God's perfect plan. Let's go and take the promised land. Well, wait a second. We We should send out spies uh, so we can get a route and know the people and the cities, when we come to them, we should, we should do that. And so that's what they do. They're, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. But then as we read further and we understand further, that's not what happened. If, you actually, if you're actually in the, in the Bible and you turn to Numbers 13 and 14, and I'm just going to summarize it for you this morning. But in Numbers 13 or 14, it gives us what actually happens when those spies were sent into the land. They didn't go into the land to find this route. They didn't go into this... This land to find this place and, and, and to spec out the route they were going to take. They went in there to make sure that it was a good land, to make sure God was was that all He had promised them was actually true. They went in; it, it was amazing. Uh, they give a report. Uh, these twelve spies, uh, when they when they come back, they give this report. Um, on the land they said it's it's a land They, they, they say it's a land flowing with milk and honey it's rich with resources natural resources great farmland I mean the Lord has stocked this land it's provided well yes this would be a promised land the grapes in this land were so big they actually had to put them on a pole and two men had to carry them a cluster of grapes to get them out of the promised land huge awesome Land flowing with milk and honey these 12 spies come back to the camp and they said, hey, this land is perfect, it's awesome, and all this stuff. But then 10 of the spies say, hey, but the people there, there are some large nations and some countries. you got the Amorites, the Amalekites, and all the other ites that are in the land, and we kind of scared of them, even though we're God's chosen people, even though God said he's going to give them over to us. we're we, you know, I mean, these people, some of them are so large and so massive and so strong, uh, we felt like grasshoppers when we were compared to them, like tiny little ants when we were compared to them. And, and so, we're, yeah, we're not, we're not sure that's a great idea. And that's what 10 of the spies said. And there was two of them, Joshua and Caleb. Now let's go back to uh, Bible school and Sunday school when you were a kid. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What did they see when they got to Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. That was the fun part, if you remember that song. Oh, 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 oh. you just do it for like two minutes with your youth minister. It's so much fun. And then some saw God was overall, but ten were bad and two were good. Ten spies give a bad report and say, we can't go in and take the land, and two say it's good. And they convince the nation, hey, yeah, we're going to trust sight and not faith here. Um, what we're seeing is these people, we're not, we're not sure. I mean, it's great land. God's, God's promised land is bountiful. It's awesome. But we're not so sure that we could go in and, and overtake these, these people. And it's like, really? Do you remember Egypt? It's like two years ago. Do you remember God and the plagues and getting us out? I mean, miraculous things happened to get us out of the oppression and the slavery in Egypt. And God gave us that freedom and now we're going back to slavery to our own sight and our own beliefs instead of the freedom of God's plan for our future and our life. We are trusting ourselves and our reports and what we see more than what God is saying here? Really? Do you not remember the the Red Sea? Do you not remember crossing it and walking on dry land? Do you not remember God's provision to get us to this point where we're right here on the edge of the promised land? He's already brought us through the wilderness. We don't need to stay in there any longer. Let's just trust God and let's go, but that's not what happened. In fact, if you go back to the book of uh, Deuteronomy where where Moses is giving those speeches, I'm just going to read the subheadings of uh, chapters one and two, there in the book of De- Deuteronomy, because it just it summarizes what happened here. First of all, it says the command to leave Horeb and go into the Promised Land. That's the first subheading. The second subheading is the appointment of leaders. Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. The next subheading says the spies were sent out. They're sent out to explore the land. The next subheading says rebellion against the Lord because we're not going to do what God says. We're not going to trust Him. And then, chapter 2, the beginning of it says, Wanderings in the wilderness. That's the summation. Now, to us, let's be honest this morning, we're like, what in the world is really going on here? What is the struggle? Here's the, here's the truth this morning. We can wander into our own wilderness experience when we don't follow God's will and ways. When we don't follow God's will and his ways, we can sometimes wander into our own wilderness experience. Because sometimes, just like the Israelites, we walk by sight and not by faith. For some reason, we think we know better than God. That God's plan isn't as good as our plan. And I think God allows Christians through his Holy Spirit and through his Holy Word to reasonably know the direction in which they should go. I think we reasonably, do we know everything? No, that's where faith comes in. But we reasonably know. I mean, there's a lot in here, folks, to tell you about the direction of your life. We we reasonably know what God's plan is, what his future is, and what he wants from us. But we rebel against him by not choosing to follow his plan. Anyone? Anyone be able to relate to that? I know it's easier to see it in other people's lives, right? Yeah, man, you should meet my uncle or yeah, my brother or my sister or, or my, my so-and-so or my, my friend from work or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, God's got a great plan. and You can see it. And, and you can see God's work from the past in their life. But and that's the kicker. So many times I think it really comes down to control for us. We like control. Because we like control, then we're going to operate on our terms and our sight and our plans and what we see. And yet so many of us like Israel, we've seen God's work. I mean, you think about this, we lay this all out, all the miracles, all the plagues... Parting the sea, walking on dry land, God's provision through the wilderness to get them to that point and to say, hey, I'm providing this land for you, go take it. Oh, wait, we should should spy it out and get a route. Fine, get a route. Don't come back and say, it's awesome, but we're not strong enough with God. It's awesome, but uh, God's plan, can God really, could God really deliver us well didn't he just do that but could God really give us these people I mean these people there are some strong nations in there all the heights man do we fear people more than we fear God himself come on and it's a struggle and it's a struggle and sometimes I think man if I was there and I'd seen those miracles firsthand I wouldn't I wouldn't struggle then Man, those Israelites, man, I can't relate to that. And yet, so many of us, if we're being honest this morning, we've seen God work. We've seen miraculous things in our lives. We've seen him change hearts, change lives. If you are sitting here this morning and you are a person that is truly saved by God, you have a testimony and a story. And you have firsthand evidence to the work that God has done in your life. And you've seen him work and move over and over and over again. You've seen him provide for you. You've seen him do so many miraculous things, and yet, do you trust him fully enough to go his direction? You have seen people walk out of their Egypt with God's help. So why don't you trust and obey his plans? Second thing this morning. God's plan in the wilderness was to reveal sins and lack of faith, to cleanse the people and turn them back to God. That was the whole point of the wilderness wanderings, was to reveal sins, to show the lack of faith, to cleanse those people and turn them back to God. And you may be wondering, well, how, how did this work exactly? Well, you have to understand, when they go into the wilderness, they get to the edge there, and then they say, we're not going to trust God. God says, your spies spied out this land for 40 days. So as discipline for you, you will not wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for every day they spied out the land and yet chose not to trust in me. And that's exactly what happens. God's plan was, I'm gonna make this generation that didn't trust me, that I brought out of Egypt, that I brought through the Red Sea, That has all this experience, I'm going to make sure this whole generation perishes. They will not enter into this glorious time when we are in the promised land. And all of that group is going to die off. And here's the kicker too, if you didn't know this, even Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land because he didn't obey God on a couple of things. Near the end of his life, God brings him on the side of a mountain and shows him, just visually, this whole land was yours. But you're going to die, just like this generation is going to die from this wandering for 40 years. And this new generation, led by a couple of spies, Joshua and Caleb, are going to lead them into the promised land. Why? Because they are faithful. Because they trusted my plan. Because they trusted my ways. It's amazing because as they're wandering in the wilderness, do you know what the Israelites actually do? They actually begin to yearn and complain about the past, and they want to go back to Egypt. They start painting pictures of Egypt that just simply aren't true. Oh, well, in Egypt, at least we had a roof over our head. and We didn't have to live in tents like we have to live out here. Well, at least in Egypt, we had food. It was junky food. It was food for slaves, but at least it was provided for us every day. Oh, oh, in Egypt, it was so much better in Egypt. No, you were crying out under oppression and slavery in Egypt, and God delivered you from that. And now you're saying you want to go back to that? But sometimes, as Christians, this is the choice that we make. If we're being honest this morning and transparent, this is the choice we make. We go back to the old sinfulness and back to the old ways of life. And we sometimes find ourselves, because of our choices, in a season. Of wandering in the wilderness i appreciate chris's testimony so much and, and his his family his wife uh, he's been a small group leader for us they have got four kids i appreciate it because he shares that at the end of that eight years what did he do he turned to god how did he do it he read the bible the whole new testament in four days now that's an impressive feat okay <laughs> I don't know how many hours that takes exactly, but, you know, reading the whole entire New Testament is awesome. And to do it in four days shows what? A hunger. And then wasn't it neat how he shared that the darkness and the depression and so many of those things was like instantaneous for some of those things to change. Some of them were a little more incremental in the change. But when I turned back to God, I went back to church. And I found a group of people that could encourage me a Sunday school class with with people that could encourage me. And I got back in the fellowship, and I got back right with God, and I started praying again. I started reading the Bible again. I went back and did some of the things I did before, after my eight years of wandering in the wilderness. Because God yearned for Chris and he yearns for all of us. You see, the core problem that we have when we go through our wilderness experience is that we don't believe God is who he says he is and that he has the authority and the power over our lives. And God yearns with us to turn back to him and to trust him again. Now, I pulled a kind of a preacher thing on you a little bit earlier and I'm just going to confess it now. I didn't read the whole passage that we're going to read this morning. When we started the message, it was Hebrews 3, 8 through 11. And, and that part, you know, was talking about the wilderness wanderings and saying, hey, don't go back there. And it was like you were talking to, you know, the Israelites, to the Hebrews. That's, that's how the book got the name. But there's even more in there for the Hebrews and for us today. We're going to go back to verse 7 now. And we're actually going to read through 19 with 8 through 11 in the middle of it. Let this word of God speak to you, church. So as the Holy Spirit says, because we have the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 95, 7 through 11. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 12. See to it then, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's Satan's plan. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Satan's a liar. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Their sin of unbelief. You see, the root of the wandering issue is that we really don't trust God. We trust in ourselves more. And it's a slippery slope when we put ourselves in the place of God. But folks, this has been Satan's whisper and lie to us going all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. In a place we call the Garden of What? The Garden of Eden. Do you remember? God has made this place where you can just be in fellowship with Him every day. He's given you all that you need. Many believe it's just perfect conditions in the Garden of Eden. It's partly sunny, partly cloudy, 74 degrees every day. You got all this fruit. It's a lush garden filled with everything that you'd ever want to eat. And God says, one thing: don't do that tree in the middle. Don't eat of its fruit. And you'll have fellowship with me, and, and, and it's going to be awesome. You're created in my image. It's going to be great. My fellowship will be close forever. And then there's a serpent. We find out later his name is Satan, the devil, Lucifer. Got thrown out of heaven sometime before the creation. Sent to earth with a third of the angels we read in the book of Isaiah. And he's there, and he says, hey, hey. <laughs> Eve, so here's the thing. God might be holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit, but let me tell you why he doesn't want you to eat that fruit. It's because you can be your own God. You could be like the Almighty. That's why I'm here. I got cast out of heaven for that sin, but yeah, yeah, you could be like the Almighty. You can be your own God. You could call the shots. You can make the rules, and you can operate in your own way and your own plan, and what happens in the Garden of Eden? Takes the fruit, eats it, gives it to Adam. Adam's like, oh boy, it looks like a good one. Let's, let's, yeah, let's do it. And immediately, they know some things that they didn't know before. And one of the things they know is they have been deceived. And they didn't obey God and they chose their own way and they chose their own plan. And we have been sold this lie since that time that something's missing in your life. God is holding out on you. And it's that you could be your own God. That you could just be like him. You can call the shots. You be your own God, you set your own rules, you call your own shots. This is exactly what's happening in the world right now. And wake up, it's happening right here in the United States of America as a country. We have become our own gods. Instead of worshiping the one true God. And we've decided we're going to make the rules and we're going to do everything on our terms. Now, I look at some of the stuff going on in our country right now and I think it's craziness. It's crazy. I mean, this whole thing about gender. God made them male and female. He created them that way. It's not confusing. Have you ever seen a baby? Baby comes out with parts or without parts. (laughs) Boys and girls. But when we become our own gods and we say, hey, I make the rules. I'm not using this old book anymore. I, we, we're our own people. We are like God. We put ourselves in the place of God. You're going to get not only craziness like we have in the country right now, you're going to get darkness. And guess what? You're going to get a time of wandering in the wilderness. Because you chose not to trust God and move in his will, in his way, in his direction. You put yourself on the throne and you said, oh, we, we're, we're God, man. We figure this out. Now, no one really comes out and says that, oh, we think we're God. Or the government thinks they're God. But folks, that's how we operate sometimes. When we leave God out, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And that is part of the issue. We are saying, I trust in myself and my sight more than trusting in the infinite and almighty and all-powerful God who's omniscient, omnipotent, and sees everything and has a future plan for my life. The one true God is giving us a wilderness experience now to chastise us to do what? Repent of our sin and turn back and trust him again and put him back in the seat of the pilot, not the co-pilot in our lives. God is not your co-pilot. He's your pilot. And you want to go where he is leading us. And for some of us, I think we can say, wow, I, I relate to that this morning. Because I feel like I'm in the wilderness. And it's not the United States of America wilderness. It's the little Eric Keller wilderness that I've created in my life because of some of the choices that I have made. Some of you find yourselves this morning in a dry and barren land. A spiritual desert. And in this time where you are cut off from the promised land and the relationship that you so want to have with God but you're choosing not to have with God and you feel like, man, I am wondering, I want to challenge you this morning, do not waste this season of your life. And remember that not always but sometimes the grief and the sorrow and the tears have their place in our life and sometimes they're brought on because of our sinful choices. But do not, do not murmur under your breath, beneath the hand of Almighty God, That it's somehow something that the Lord has only done to us. Psalm twenty five ten puts it this way: All of the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All of the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. We love that verse, right? All the steadfast love and faithfulness, all of His paths. But here's the thing: we don't focus on when we read a verse like that. All of the paths. Even the ones that sometimes, that sometimes take us through the wilderness, those paths where God steps back and says, "Have it your way?" I'm still here and I love you, and I've got a better way, but go ahead. I'm going to be right here, but you go ahead. But he's hoping at some point we would want to return to the paths of steadfast love and faithfulness. And to recognize and submit to him in our hearts that he will never leave us nor forsake us. All we have to do is to turn and repent of our sins and trust in him. If you are in Christ, God has not brought you in the wilderness to starve you. He has brought you here to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. If you feel like you're in that wilderness this morning, you're like, man, this is a tough spot, you're in a bad place. God didn't bring you here to starve you, God brought you there to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. Your life and your hope and your joy are not hidden away in some elusive place, and when you finally get to the land of plenty then, when I have plenty, everything will be all right. No, 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 no. Christ died, was crucified, and rose again to save you for himself in a relationship with him. The one who is your life, the one who is your pleasure, the one who is your joy, the one who is your milk and honey, and the one who is your all, loves you, died for you, forgiven you, and he says, please, 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 trust in me. Trust in me. And so I want to end the sermon like this. And allow God to speak to you directly this morning. And you take whatever action you feel led to by his spirit. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. As just has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the time of your rebellion.